Welcome back to the Magic Story Podcast. I'm your host, Harless. And I'm your other host, Natalie. This is the podcast where we recap magic story with a bit of our own flavor text thrown in. Today is our last episode of season three, where we have brought to you the story of Phyrexia, All Will Be One. We have lost much. The invasion has begun. The true battle against Phyrexia dawns. And no story helps to shed light on how high the stakes are how widespread the invasion will become than the side story alone by Miguel Lopez. We end this season with this story because from here, the impacts of Elish Norn's Realmbreaker transcend New Phyrexia. The war will be brought to every plane. And in Alone, we follow our planeswalker Teferi as he returns to Zalfir, his home plane, on the very precipice of this war. Join us as we head into the multiverse. saw of Teferi was in season two, and I'm going to hand it over to Natalie to give us a brief recap on those events. So Teferi in the Brothers War, for almost the entire season, was stuck in something called a Temporal Anchor, which was a time machine built by Sahili, another planeswalker. And he was heading back to the events of the Brothers War in order to unlock the mysteries of how to operate an artifact called the Silex. And the Silex potentially has the destructive powers to be able to end Phyrexia. That plan didn't go as as planned, as we saw in the last episode. But Teferi was trying to unravel that secret in Season 2. And at the very end of the Brothers' War, Teferi's temporal anchor had almost broken due to him and Urza being set out of time and then the blast of the Silex almost launched Teferi into almost being in another being. And he wakes up on this beach, totally alone, not sure where he is or even what time span he's in because he's a time traveler. And he doesn't even know if he is whole or still half a spirit or whether he's dead. He has no true context over where he was at the very end of season two with the Brothers War. And so that's where we begin this this episode with Teferi. And there's actually a quote at the very beginning of this episode called Alone that I wanted to highlight because it gives us a little bit of pause to think. And this is almost Teferi talking to himself in this narration. And I'm going to quote for you. He calls himself the destroyer of Zalfir. And the, the whole phrase here is, the destroyer of Dominaria, talking with the destroyer of Zalfir. The destroyer of Dominaria being Urza in that very last episode that we had seen in the Brothers' War, where Teferi and Urza were kind of in this weird time zone where the secrets of the Silex were unlocked. And then he asks himself, before we truly begin the episode, there is a war coming. What are you going to do about it? So this episode begins with Teferi on that beach. He walks inland, rattled by the events leading up to this moment. He remembers, but it's fractured. He finds a road not far from the beach and rests. Now for context, Teferi has no idea where he is. He is whole. He's not in spirit form, which he had been previously from the temporal anchor. And he's alone. 
I mean, he doesn't even have any clothes. There is nothing and no one around him. Just a very pleasant beach, open blue sky with the sun shining. And he also finds that he cannot planeswalk. Either his spark is too weak or there is literally something preventing him from doing it. When he reaches out to the sun and attempts to use his time travel magic to will the sun to set faster, he can't. So his magic is gone too right now. Teferi falls asleep that night and is just horrified by his memories. The catastrophic, bloody, terrible events of the Brothers' War he had witnessed just haunting his sleep. It resurrects the pain of his lost wife, Subira. Now the tide wakes Teferi up the next morning, and something compels him to keep moving and follow the tracks in the road, human tracks. Where there are humans, there is comfort and food and warmth. So he walks. The road eventually becomes more defined as he travels inland. He finds fresher tracks with mountains on the horizon, but he still has come across zero actual people. But he does feel his magic return to him bit by bit. And so he does this really cool thing in this moment and sort of casts a net of memory across the landscape to read it. Because he's a time traveler, Teferi can access memories, either from a person or an object or even a whole landscape. And visions come to him like memories, like dreams. And using this magic casting, he realizes that families had abandoned this coast a while ago, and those that do travel here are few and far between. Fear had driven them from this land. Now, some sort of storm, like a hurricane, kind of described as a cataclysm here. Oh, we've heard the term cataclysm used before. Hmm. My thoughts exactly. So... It was this storm that drove the sailors and fishermen who used to live here away from the shore. And the landscape had changed. It had turned harsher. And so the villagers just didn't return. But the road held promise. Teferi called it like a heartbeat of its own. He even says that Wren would have called it a song where people used to travel and the path beckons him. And it's then that Teferi realizes Zalfir, nearly 400 years later, he was back in Zalfir. So highlighting a couple of things for our listeners out there. What this means is that Teferi is on his home plane of Zalfir, and he hasn't been here in almost 400 years. And the last time he was here, well, remember that quote I said earlier? Destroyer of Dominaria, talking with the destroyer of Zalfir? We've gotten hints that Teferi carries immense guilt. We saw it in him last season when he was talking with Ren before going into the Temporal Anchor. He has compared himself to Urza many times. The last time Teferi was in Zalfir, he had done some terrible things. If he's comparing himself to Urza, and there was some type of cataclysm that had torn apart these shores many years ago, I'll let you make the connection there. Many hours pass, and Teferi walks along this road leading farther and farther inland but he still hasn't come across a single person. Eventually, he hears a noise in the distance, ducks for cover in the bushes. A long train of wagons appears on the horizon, filled with caravanners, travelers from the looks of it, many of them. They have soldiers with them too, though they look a little worse for wear. Now seeing as Teferi is starving, thirsty, lost, alone, pretty much ready to die out here, he decides to take the risk and make himself known to these caravanners by stepping out of the bushes. At first, everyone in the caravan thinks they're under attack and call to arms. 
but Tiveri proves he's not hostile and makes up an easy lie on the spot that he was just a lost traveler from a nearby village who was attacked by bandits. I really can't imagine what this must look like to these caravanners. Like, just some random naked man walking out of the bushes of a very remote place no one goes to anymore for the last 400 years. Yeah, hey, like, what's up? Please don't kill me. Right. You've been the war band leader of the caravan. Shouts out to him. Who are you, naked man? <laughs> Which I just love. It's just this moment, like, just she's so uh, forthright. <laughs> like, yeah. It's it's just... Wait, it, who are you? <laughs> yeah, what? Hello, what naked man. Here? What are you doing in the middle of the road? Yeah. So... This warband leader, her name is Esha, seems to believe Teferi's false story, though, and offers him clothing and food as well as protection. It turns out her warband had dealt with that clutch of traitors just last night, according to her. So there was a bandit attack last night, just Teferi didn't have anything to do with it. Esha asks how many comrades he had lost, and Teferi, using his memory trick, where he's able to almost access thought and memory in Esha's mind with his powers, he doesn't like doing that to people, though. He gives her the correct answer of 10. So a short while later, Esha and the caravan command everyone to line up. Thinking that he was safe and had successfully tricked Esha into thinking he was just a humble traveler, he's not really worried at first. But then one of the caravanners next to him in line whispers frantically to him, do not trust these bandits. They killed our guards and took their place. And then Esha looks at Teferi and all former pretense of her being friendly is gone. She knows exactly who Teferi is and she is not happy he's here. Unable to do anything, Teferi listens to Esha's rant about how war has torn them apart for generations. War after war after war has spread across Althir, and entire families have been lost. You can practically feel Esha's heartache and loss and anger in her voice. Then she stops in front of Teferi after her speech. Alone, Esha says, and all other sounds seems to have fled the warm morning. One of us here did not suffer that pain. He slipped away, but he has returned. Here is Teferi, the snake. Teferi then tries to reason with her. He holds out his hands. But then Esha struck out with her spear. Teferi, in that moment, stops time, rendering everyone motionless. He just seems so exhausted, Teferi does, when he begins to speak to Esha, who can apparently hear him through all of this. He confesses all of his regret in a very heartfelt speech that Esha is right and that Teferi had given up on Zelfir left it to fend for itself as it tore itself apart in wars he started. He talks about Subira, his wife. I think, Teferi said, the words thick and cold in his mouth, that I let her love absolve me of the great pain I caused you, the pain I caused Zalfir, our home. Subira accepted me, which took a great deal of grace, but her accepting me, loving me, Teferi shook his head. Love like that saves a soul, but it doesn't heal this. Teferi plunged his fingers into the red earth, pulled two handfuls up, and let it spill between his fingers. Teferi goes on to say that he cannot be forgiven, and he vows to Esha, to all of Zalfir, I loved her as I loved this land, and I will see Zalfir safe through what comes next. This is my promise. This is how I fix it. So Teferi releases his time spell, and everyone is set back in motion. Esha's spear obviously misses, even when she tries to strike again, and Teferi evades it with his time magic. Man, time manipulation really is unfairly powerful, isn't it? He's just right? able to like easily manipulate time and duck out of the way. Like it's 
It is so powerful. <laughs> now, finally, Esha just stops attacking him and lets him leave. She realizes she's not going to win this battle. Well, it's more like she yells at him to go away. But yes, she stops attacking and accepts Teferi at his word. She won't kill him. She allows Teferi to continue on alone down the road while her caravan goes in the opposite direction. After this event happens, a few months pass. Teferi knows that staying invisible in Zelfir forever just isn't possible. But seeing that he can't planeswalk, nor has he been able to get into contact with any other planeswalkers, he's kind of stuck here. So he joins a village of fishermen along a river deep into Zelfir and lives out a temporarily peaceful time as one of these fishermen. The village accepts him, even though if you do recognize who he truly is. And during these simple months as a fisherman, Teferi learns to love Zalfir, his homeland, again. He has a conversation with a woman named Oyana, who recognizes him as Teferi, calling him the father of Zalfir. Zalfir is ready, she vows. I am ready. My sisters and brothers are ready. The Phyrexians cannot stand against us. Now, Oyana is just a fisher, but she's also so strong and fierce. She's a warrior. And Teferi recognizes this, the strength sleeping within Zalfir. So it's revealed to us as we gain more of Teferi's perspective of his past on Zalfir, that this plane of Zalfir has been kind of cut off from the rest of the multiverse for a long time, almost like an island in limbo. So there's some dramatic irony going on here. We readers, listeners know that that will not remain true for long, seeing as Elish Norn will literally invade the entire multiverse and bring Zalfir by force back into the fold. But that said, we're starting to see that Zalfir has strength, that it will fight back. Even though Teferi is struggling with the idea of his home plane having to go through yet another devastating war against Phyrexians, no less, he even says here, no one is ready. No one can stop them. Not even the brave. Teferi, soon after this conversation here with Oyana, visits a temple in the village and an acolyte interrupts his meditation. Now this is Adia, an aspiring healer. Apparently he and Adia have had many conversations in the temple in the past few months of him being here. And Adia says that soldiers have come to the village searching for him. Fearing the worst, Teferi goes to meet them. He expects some Akinji soldiers or someone here to execute him. Spoiler alert, the Queen of Zalfir wants Teferi dead and he knows it. But instead, it's Jabari, an old friend of Teferi's. Now Jabari is a warrior from the Queen's court. But seeing as he and Teferi are old friends, he isn't here to harm him. Instead, Jabari reveals that he's here to retrieve Teferi and bring him to the city of Aku. According to Jabari, there has been another planeswalker to come to Zalfir recently. Wait, what? But I thought... Yeah, so did Teferi. So this news shocks him. He demands to know who this planeswalker is. And Jabari describes them. He says they are young, with white hair, a thin sword, fine gold armor... And Jabari even hands to Barry this um, bundle wrapped in cloth, which reveals an exquisite wide-brimmed hat. It was armored in glossy lacquered golden green, light but sturdy, balancing defense and ornament. Oh, oh, I know who that is. We know who that is. It's, it's the, the Wanderer. wanderer. <laughs> so with this knowledge, Shafari agrees to travel with Jabari to Aku to go find the Wanderer. Before he departs, he stops by the temple again to speak to Adia. They begin to talk about war, how Adia knows a new war is imminent to come to Zalfir. But she is, rightfully, very afraid. I think we've all lost so much that we can't imagine losing anything else, she says, 
We forget what war takes, even when there's nothing left. I'm terrified of the cost of this war. I'm sick with worry. To lose means ruin. Well, what happens when we win? She gestured back at the Cedars and recruits. Zalfir has spent so long waiting and sharpening their swords that when we defeat Phyrexia, we'll discover that war is the only thing we know how to do. Whoa, I just have to say, what Adia is saying right now, strangely reminiscent of what Dominaria has been through. Right? But my favorite part about all this is actually Teferi's response. It's just so Teferi. How even when he completely doubts his own ability to be a good leader, he can say such powerful things to prove that he most definitely is one of the best planeswalker leaders ever. He says, We can't stop what's coming, but we can control what happens after. Teferi gestures to the soldiers, the recruits, the world. There is a great terror approaching, yes, but it will only remain as long as we choose to hold on to it. We are not bound by fate, only our past. We were not always soldiers. We were not always alone. Fast forward a few weeks from here. Jabari and Teferi travel over to Aku, which is said to be fraught with danger we don't actually see. When we arrive here, the halls of Aku were warm and solemn. The queen's presence demanded tapestries be hung and rich rugs rolled out over glossy floors, for braziers to be loaded with smoldering wellwood and other finely scent fuels. Aku might have been a tomb, but it was not a scorned place. So Teferi and Jabari enter the tomb of Aku, and here they enter a chamber that was ancient and legends whispered of dark origins. It was a single, vast, dark dome, lit only by torchlight along the rims. Within this giant dome hung a huge, imposing pendulum by a chain from the ceiling. It was usually a warning system to keep people out of this place, but now it had fallen to the floor, the chain snapped, and it had crushed someone beneath it. We'll save you the gory details of this, just know it was a brutal scene. And that the person that was crushed is okay. That's important too. He's going he's gonna to make it, I think. Now gathered around this broken pendulum is the Queen Winza, the Queen of Zalfir. The Queen who wanted Teferi dead? That exact one. So she approaches him demanding why she shouldn't kill Teferi on the spot. And Teferi's response is simply that if Queen Winza kills him, the Phyrexians will win. They will have lost the war, lost Zalfir. And surprisingly, the Queen seems to take Teferi's answer, nodding tersely and allowing him to live. It's almost like she already knew that. I mean, honestly, like, why else would she so easily concede? Like, I think she just wanted him to know that she knows who he is and that she's not happy with him. But she she gets it. Yeah, those that's my thought, too, Harless. I think Queen Wenza, deep down, knows the horrors that are about to descend on Zalfir and that Teferi, the archmage of Zalfir, is the only one powerful enough to save them. It kind of gives them a truce of sorts. She's forgiving Teferi of his past mistakes in the face of this threat. Now, after they come to this agreement, Queen Winza pulls out a small palm-sized amber bobble, tossing it toward Teferi. And the amber prison slides to a stop at Teferi's feet, where he bends to pick it up. He lifted it up to the light, illuminating the figure within. Small, frozen in time, likely moments after planeswalking. A warrior, mid-strike, squinting. Teferi could see on her face a look of determination slipping to confusion, a hard brow softening, her mouth opening to ask a question, her eyes wide with surprise. The Wanderer. 
When Teferi sets the prison back on the ground, the queen snaps her fingers and commands the creed leader to open the prison, which opens with a spark and it bursts with a sharp report followed moments later by a short, sharp exhalation as the wanderer finishes her swing, crying out in surprise. Clearly confused, the wanderer looks around and lands on Teferi in exclamation. Having lost sense of time, the queen says the wanderer had been trapped here a month in that little prison. The wanderer says that's impossible. To her, Teferi had disappeared only days ago. Teferi tells her that the temporal anchor had failed. Already the wanderer's spark begins to flicker her out of this plane, but she has just enough time to explain that New Phyrexia's invasion is upon them. Our attack was scattered across the plain. Nis is gone. I think we're too late. I don't think we can stop them. Teferi takes a stunned moment to absorb this. The rest of the Zalfir group kind of explode into action, all panicking pretty much. Jabari, the queen. But Teferi goes into this temporary shock. The wanderer continues to speak to him about everything that has happened he missed. The attack on Urza's tower, the raid on New Phyrexia, the plan with the Silex that failed, the Realm Breaker. Uh, hearing it all again, it's just so bleak, and I don't blame Teferi for being overwhelmed by this. I mean, he always had an inkling the plan wouldn't work, but he clearly had faith it would all just somehow work itself out. Seeing as he'd sacrificed everything to get to that point and figure out the Silex, he'd sacrificed everything. Sahili had sacrificed so much. Kaya had sacrificed so much. They all I mean, did. We, yeah, like we yeah. saw in the Brothers' War, they're all just doing everything they can to buy Teferi time to figure this out. And with that much effort, like you just, you have to believe it's going to work out. That Otherwise, hope. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Otherwise, there's nothing to keep you going. But then Teferi breaks out of his shock. He describes shaking out of the shock like sloughing off a too heavy coat. No more apologizing, he thinks to himself. It's not too late, Teferi said, a fierce grin spreading across his face. The Phyrexians probing through the multiverse had awoken something that their machine minds would learn to fear. Teferi, who would show them that the sun rises in Zalfir. Oh, man. It's like, and that's exactly why we ended this season with this episode, is because we can see the beginning of the fight back. And I think that's really important to leave on because... What happened in our main story this season was just so insane. And so we've had such devastating loss and our planeswalkers are truly not the same. Some of them quite literally because they have been Phyrexianized and the ones who have survived, they are. (laughs) So sad. Yeah, I know. I'm like, I'm still crying over Jace. I'm still crying over Vraska. I'm still crying over Nahiri and Nissa. I'm still crying over Jace and Vraska's relationship. Right. And being, <laughs> like, there's so much that we lost in this season. But with this side story with Teferi, we're beginning to see a strength, like a quiet, very pure, very good strength that Teferi is beginning to muster. And I think I think we're going to start to see that across. We're going to have to start to see that across the multiverse, I think. Well, it's not even what they just lost over the season. We've been talking. They've been working on this. They've been talking about this. They've been planning for this since Dominaria. Yeah, this is Karn's plan from the very beginning of when we started this podcast. So this has been in the works for so long. And we saw just how easily the Phyrexians just plucked them off one by one and and kind of ruined everyone's plans. Everyone's careful planning. Because they are such a threat. Yeah. And they have 
a Johnny on the inside who knows everything about the Planeswalkers. Now they have Jace, Mind Mage, Jace? Jace, Mind oh. Mage, who has mind links to other Planeswalkers. Let's not forget that. How he was able to communicate with Kaya. How he was able to communicate with basically anyone through a mind link. And not just communicate, but manipulate. He was able to make other people think things or feel things or act in certain ways. I mean, Jace is a super powerful planeswalker, and now he is their foe, which is terrifying, terrifying. I am crying tears of, I'm crying tears of heartbreak and tears of terror for, for what our planeswalkers are up against now. Yeah, it's a, it's been a journey so far. I'm very interested to see what happens next, because guess what? There's more. There is so much more. We have a whole season that will dive into our next, into our next set. We are so glad you joined us through the journey of Phyrexia. All will be one. The invasion has begun, and now the war has come to the multiverse. How will this end? Will our planeswalkers prevail against the Phyrexians? Or will Elish Norn become the unstoppable mother of machines? We can't wait to read with you the epic finale of the Phyrexian arc, the monumental moment we have been leading up to since Dominaria United in season four, where we bring to you the story of March of the Machine. As always, if you want to read the stories for yourself, you can check them out at mtgstory.com. You can find our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you have a moment today, we kindly ask that you go rate and review our podcast. It does a lot for us. It helps us out a ton and we super appreciate it. So tune in with us soon for season four. But until then, have have a magical magical day. day.